Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com. From Texas Public Radio, this is Texas Matters. Today on Texas Matters, a special report, Golden Pennies, Why Texas School Funding Still Isn't Fair. It's been 50 years since San Antonio families took the Texas Unequal School Funding System to court. A court-mandated repair called Robin Hood supposedly fixed the problem 30 years ago. Yet today's school funding formula continues to favor some school districts over others, and it might not be the districts that you expect. Texas Public Radio education reporter Camille Phillips spent a year analyzing nearly two decades of school finance data and visiting schools to document the ways that it falls short. Here's Camille Phillips. One of the biggest education stories in Texas in 2023 was the governor's push to create a school voucher-like program. And all signs point to that story continuing to be a major political driver in 2024. At the heart of that debate is a decision about how Texas should fund education. But it's hard to have a true debate on the topic because the state's current school funding system is so complicated and convoluted that very few people truly understand it. And after digging into the data and policy, I found that lingering inequities are hiding underneath that confusion. To understand school funding in Texas, you need to know about the Rodriguez family, specifically Patricia Rodriguez's father, Demetrio. He always stood up for the little guy. He was also the first plaintiff listed in a landmark lawsuit that made it all the way to the U.S. Supreme Court in 1973. When this first case was filed, it was filed in 1968. I was not even born yet. Demetrio Rodriguez and other parents from San Antonio's Edgewood School District filed the suit after seeing their kids' schools get only a fraction of the funding seen in neighboring districts. Patricia Rodriguez says her parents experienced a lot of racism and saw education as a way to push back. One of the things that they both would tell my brothers and I often was that no matter what, a good education can never be taken away from you. But in 73, the Edgewood parents lost. In a narrow 5-4 decision, the Supreme Court ruled the U.S. Constitution does not guarantee equal access to education funding. Even though the ruling was a major setback for the working-class Mexican-American families who filed suit, the students who inspired it gathered in 2023 to remember the case's 50th anniversary. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to tonight's events. Albert Cortez was at the event. He helped lead the decades-long fight for school funding equity in Texas following the Rodriguez ruling. The legacy of Rodriguez was that when the case was presented, a lot of the inequalities that existed in the system were uncovered. It was like turning over a rock and all the ugliness that was underneath was exposed. Cortez attended high school at Edgewood in the 60s. He remembers outdated textbooks, underprepared teachers, and that there were never enough supplies to go around. His typing class had keyboards painted on students' desktops because there weren't enough typewriters. We always had the sense that we had less. And what was communicated to us indirectly then, somehow that we were less, less meaningful, less important. 
After losing the Rodriguez case, it took 20 years of fighting in state court for Edgewood families to finally see a victory. In 1993, Texas lawmakers created a court-mandated fix called recapture. The goal of recapture was to level the playing field between property-rich and property-poor school districts by taking some of the property taxes collected by rich districts and giving it to poor ones. Critics call the system Robin Hood. Today, recapture is vital for districts like Edgewood. If it relied solely on local taxes, the district would have had just $2,300 last year for each student. With state and federal money added in, Edgewood had close to $11,000. Still, the district superintendent, Eduardo Hernandez, says they struggle to meet students' needs. We need an upgrade to one of our uh, elementary schools, one of the oldest elementary schools in the district. We need a career and technology center. Um, uh, some of our buildings just need, in terms of just the walking into the building, the vestibule for safety and security reasons. Today's school funding system gives property-poor school districts more money to pay teachers and buy supplies. But it doesn't address bonds, which are used to pay for building renovations. Edgewood's 16 square miles don't have the tax base of the business corridor downtown or wealthy Alamo Heights a few miles away. We have nothing but very modest homes in Edgewood. Uh, the value of most of our homes is, is not very high. It's somewhere between forty dollars and $70,000. So we would have to uh, raise a bond on, for lack of a better word, on our people's backs. Hernandez says Edgewood hasn't tried to go out for a bond in nearly 15 years. And even if it did, one wouldn't go very far. That's forced him to use money that's supposed to be used on daily operations to fund building repairs. Just a year ago, we had the air conditioning run out of one of our middle schools. That cost over a million dollars. Despite the unexpected costs of aging buildings, Hernandez says his first priority is educating students. Edgewood has one of the highest starting teacher salaries in San Antonio, but the district also has a lot of first-year teachers. So I know there's two rows of nine. At Edgewood's LBJ Elementary, I watch one of those first-year teachers take her students through a math lesson. Two times nine. Was Watching right now, I think she's 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 going through a certain motion right now, like any first year teacher would. Hernandez says if Edgewood could afford it, LBJ Elementary would have an instructional coach dedicated to pedagogy to help new teachers learn how to keep students engaged. Somebody that can coach the teacher in real time so that they learn their craft better because it's not just knowing the content, it's how do you deliver the content in a way that the student can retain that content. Hello, how are you? Down the hallway in another classroom, an experienced teacher leads her students in a song they memorized to learn the multiplication table. You told me 54 and 63 would come in next. Oh, 72, 81 and 90 were all of No way I'll forget my nine, Here you have a teacher that's experienced. She's exceptional. Hernandez leans down to speak to two students sitting on a carpet filling out a worksheet. Is it easy for you? Yes and no? So you, are you guys helping each other out? Yeah. Oh, okay. All right, well, I'll leave you alone. I know I'm getting in the middle. The students' replies are so quiet, the microphone barely picks them up. In an ideal world, Hernandez says he'd have more counselors to help build the kids' self-confidence. A lot of times children have a hard time just speaking up for themselves. One counselor for 400 and something kids with all the other duties she has to do is not adequate. 
97% of LBJ elementary students are economically disadvantaged. Nearly one in four are English language learners. They need more resources than the average student. But Edgewood has about $1,500 less per student than the state average and $4,000 less than the U.S. average. Hernanda says if he had $4,000 more per student, his number one priority would be additional teachers and additional counseling. Even though ReCapture gives property-poor districts like Edgewood a lot more funding than they had before 1993, today's school funding system still isn't fair. And the things that make it unfair aren't very well understood. That's because the funding system is also really complicated. There are four main elements making Texas school funding both unfair and confusing. Number one, in Texas, when property values and property taxes rise, schools don't automatically get more money. That doesn't make funding less equal, but does defy common sense. Chandra Villanueva is with the progressive-leaning think tank Every Texan. Your average homeowner is like, look, I'm paying more and more every single year. Why are my schools still underfunded, overcrowded, my teachers underpaid? Their conclusion? Obviously, the schools are doing a bad job with my money. So let me explain the disconnect. In order to equalize funding across property-poor and property-wealthy school districts, money from state sales tax, local property tax, and recapture all starts in the same pot. Then Texas uses a formula to decide how much of that pot goes to each student in this classroom. You got 50 seconds. Go ahead and come to the back and every other classroom across the state. If school districts raise more in property tax than the formula says they're allowed to keep, the state takes that money and uses it instead of state dollars to pay for other schools. That means when your property taxes go up, your schools don't get more money, they just get less state funding. Because that's not well known, Villanueva says homeowners end up mistrusting schools and hating property tax. I saw that mistrust firsthand at a town hall last spring for San Antonio's Harlandale ISD. Their superintendent was trying to explain why the district had a budget deficit. Why do you keep saying we only can live off of our savings? Where is the other money going to go? Is there not enough coming in? Exactly. Which brings us to point two. Texas hasn't increased school funding since 2019. Just to keep up with inflation, schools would need almost $1,200 more per student. Eduardo Hernandez is superintendent of Edgewood ISD on San Antonio's west side. Since the pandemic, what you see is now it's costing more. Um, everything from just keeping the lights on, our water, our bills, our food, all of it is costing more. Because the state decides how much funding school districts are entitled to, and because lawmakers haven't increased that funding in four years, a lot of school districts are struggling to balance their budgets, even property-wealthy ones. Three wealthy districts are so upset by this that they're rebelling, refusing to pay their share of recapture this year. That includes Spring Branch ISD in Houston, where Lisa Alpi is on the school board. It's, it's kind of that time to take a stand. And given our severe budget deficits that we're looking at, I think now is the time to say, come and take it. Property wealthy districts have never been fans of recapture. But every Texan, Chandra Villanueva, says districts wouldn't feel this way if the state adequately funded schools. We've been shortchanging our schools forever. That brings us to the third unfair part of Texas public school funding, something called golden pennies. 
Golden pennies are protected money, exempt from recapture. Texas created them in 2006, after property wealthy school districts sued. According to a TPR analysis of state data, in recent years, a couple dozen school districts have consistently gotten at least double the state average in per-student funding. They rake in anywhere from $25,000 to $50,000 per student, and golden pennies are a big part of the reason why. They let school districts add additional pennies to their tax rate that aren't subject to recapture. Villanueva says in some districts, they're more like platinum pennies. So when you see these super wealthy districts that are paying a lot in recapture, well, they're not paying recapture on those golden pennies. They can keep all of it. That gives a big advantage to school districts with a lot of property wealth and few students. The wealthiest districts collect up to $35,000 per student in golden pennies alone. The fourth and final unfair element of Texas school funding is something called automatic tax compression, which was introduced in 2019. What it means is each year, every Texas school district gets a lower property tax rate. The state sends school districts a note saying, hey, here's your new maximum tax rate. Before this change, every school district had the same maximum rate. Now school districts have different rates based on how fast their property value grew. Villanueva calls it one of the worst things to ever happen to Texas school finance because it erases a major component of the equity recapture was created to fix. That was really heartbreaking for me to see them make it so that you could have any random tax rate and get the same full funding as anybody else. The idea was that every school district taxing at a certain rate should be able to get the same amount of funding. Like, all kids deserve the same level of education, so all communities will put in the same effort to fund schools. And then the state's job was to equalize. Without recapture, property-poor districts would have to set crazy high tax rates in order to collect even a fraction of the funding property-wealthy districts collect with low tax rates. Even more concerning to Villanueva, though, is how automatic tax compression shrinks the state's largest source of revenue for public schools. She thinks the long-term goal is to eliminate school property tax altogether. Every single year, we're spending billions of dollars to reduce that tax rate until it's gone. And once it's gone, who's going to fund our schools? And Villanueva is one of several advocates who think all of this, the automatic tax cuts, recapture finger-pointing, and confusion over school funding is being used to undermine Texas public schools and privatize education. They're going to keep not funding our schools. Things are going to get tighter and tighter. Teachers aren't going to get paid well. Education's going to, you know, do worse. And then the state's going to be like, look, our schools are failing. Why are we going to put money into that? Here's a voucher. Go figure it out on your own. The influential right-wing think tank Texas Public Policy Foundation has been calling for an end to the main school property tax since at least 2018. Texas Governor Greg Abbott repeated that call on social media last summer. The time for school choice is now in the great state of Texas. More recently, the governor has been making the rounds with TPPF to rally support for public money to pay for private schools. School choice not only improves education for every kid and every parent who choose that pathway, school choice improves our public schools. At the very least, simple math tells us that if Texas allocates funding for private school vouchers, there will be even less money available for public schools. Bills that would have increased state education funding last year were blocked by the governor. 
He said he wouldn't give more money to public schools until his voucher program passed. That flat funding has school districts across Texas struggling to balance their budgets, even large urban districts with a lot of property wealth. Austin ISD is a perfect example. It's no secret that it costs a pretty penny to live in the state's capital city. Rent's gotten so high that some are being priced out. So even though they couldn't really afford it this year, Austin ISD gave its employees a raise. We knew that we needed to do something uh, with regards to doing our best to pay our employees a livable wage. Eduardo Ramos is the district's chief financial officer. He says that salary bump pushed Austin ISD into a $52 million deficit. That's despite the fact the district collects more in property tax revenue than almost any other in the state. So why does Austin ISD have a deficit? Well, it doesn't get to keep all that money. In Texas, anything above an amount set by the state legislature gets redistributed to property-poor districts through recapture. Ramos says there is a need to share property wealth, but he thinks the current system benefits the state more than schools. I feel that recapture districts have become a revenue source for the state of Texas. So when the state receives uh, recapture payments above what they budgeted, uh, they reduce their share, and so they use uh, those funds for other state needs. He says for recapture to work the way it should, the state needs to invest more in public schools. Austin ISD had about $10,500 per student last year, $2,000 less than the average Texas school district. When you have a district like Austin ISD that's over 50% economically disadvantaged and sending over half of our local tax collections back to the state, to us that's an unfair system. Just over half of Austin ISD's 73,000 students are economically disadvantaged. But in some schools, like Webb Middle School on Austin's northeast side, almost every student comes from low-income families. Nearly 90% are Latino. Okay, so that's the part that we need to make sure that the trumpets don't do. We go low, high, low, they just stay on low. Principal Michael Coyle says electives like this first-year band class are important because they spark students' interest. All right, baritone, trombone, tuba, here we go. Starting on this F, last two measures. But he has to fundraise to be able to send students to competitions. One, two, ready, go. Electives are sometimes the first things that sometimes get cut, and it's a shame when we have to choose between a math teacher and a choir teacher. Quayle pulls out a huge key ring he uses on the tour. We also have a million keys. <laughs> Webb Middle School is an older building and doesn't have fancy new security upgrades like key cards. Overall building updates in those security systems would be huge for our students. So walking in here, they know, I hope they feel safe already, but just that extra level of support that unfortunately costs money. Two rows of trailers on one side of the school house classes for recent immigrants. Three out of four students at Webb are English language learners. Inside an ELL social studies class, the teacher guides students through a lesson on the banking system. He brushes his palms together to symbolize making money rain. What is something that we give money to? Oh, the money. The bank. How do you say bank in Spanish? Banco. In French? Overall, Coyle says a lot of his students have higher levels of need, both to catch up in the classroom. Some of our students from other countries may not have been in school for years. 
and more fundamental things. It's so important that we have, you know, money for those kinds of things that help our students with basic needs because they can't concentrate in a classroom when they don't have food, they don't have running water, they don't have electricity. Texas, like a lot of states, gives extra funding to students who need more support. Low-income students get about 25% more. Most English language learners get 10%. Coyle says that's not enough for Webb, and researchers say those students should be getting at least double. Erica Wiggins weathers researches education funding policies at the University of Pennsylvania. She says poverty often ends up being used as a proxy for race. But her work shows Black and Latino students often end up with less funding than white students, even if they're equally poor. And why, why is that? What is it about racialized poverty that means they're getting less? And I don't think we have enough conversation about that. A big part of the reason is because states rely on property tax to pay for education. Historic discriminatory housing policies linger today in school district boundaries and property values. Austin ISD is expected to collect more than a billion dollars in property taxes again this year. But because Austin also has a lot of students with a lot of needs, the district, like many Texas school districts, will most likely struggle to make ends meet again next year. Webb Middle School Principal Michael Coyle says he knows district leaders would give his school more money if they had it, but their hands are tied by the Texas school finance system. It's hard to see, you know, like schools, state-of-the-art schools in other areas that are using money, you know, that come from our area um, or our city that aren't being used for our students who need it most. Without an exception to recapture called Golden Pennies, Austin would have an even harder time making ends meet. Golden Pennies allow Austin ISD to keep about $1,000 more in property taxes per student. But the districts truly benefiting from Golden Pennies have a lot of land worth a lot of money and very few students. The school district that benefited the most from Golden Pennies last year was Wink Loving ISD in West Texas. It has nearly five times as much money to spend per student as Austin ISD. Superintendent Scotty Carmen grew up in Wink, Texas before going to college and moving away for his first teaching job. When a job opened up at his alma mater 15 years ago, he jumped at the chance to come back home. Most people have lived here generations. They have roots uh, in the area. Wink Loving is a small school district in the Permian Basin with about 450 students in K through 12th grade. It's a great little town. Uh, but we are isolated and, you know, there's not a lot to do here. Everything seems to revolve around the school. The entire district fits on one campus in Wink. Elementary, junior high, and high school all share the same cafeteria. And it's a nice one. The district has built all new buildings over the last several years, including a football stadium and state-of-the-art athletic facilities. That's double gym, uh, the other gym, competition gym. We have baseball, softball fields on the other side. With one key card, Carmen can unlock any door on campus. And there are other fancy security features, too. You can see the, the windows kind of look a little different. They have the, the ballistic film on them. When I visited, both the high school football and volleyball teams were gearing up for playoffs. A handmade poster in the elementary school cheered them on with the slogan, Small town, big heart. There's a lot of pride around that in Wink. Coach um, Gibson's going to send seniors over to take a picture with us. Okay, get that. He's going to send volleyball and football seniors. Good deal. Carmen takes me into a second grade classroom 
where students play a game to practice counting coins. So we have these spinners, and we put a, a paper clip right here, and we put our pencil like this, and we spin it, and whatever we get on, uh, like say I got a quarter, I would get to move one, two, and then one, two, three, four, five. For the game, they're using pictures of coins printed on paper. But their school district raked in some very real coin last year, $50,000 for each kid in class. That's five times the amount available for the average Texas public school student. Yes, you heard that right, five times the average amount. If you're at all familiar with the Texas school finance system, you're probably wondering how in the world that's possible. State lawmakers created recapture 30 years ago to level the playing field between property-poor and property-rich school districts. So three decades later, why does Wink Loving ISD have so much money? The answer is something called golden pennies. The school district, like many districts in the Permian Basin, has a lot of property wealth. Oil wells like this one near Wink make parts of West Texas far more valuable than if the land were just used for ranching or housing. Because of that extreme property wealth, Wink Loving paid the state $150 million in recapture last year. And that would have been the end of it if not for golden pennies. They let school districts add additional pennies to their tax rate that aren't subject to recapture. So eight cents of Wink Loving ISD's tax rate is protected. The state can't take any of the tax revenue generated by those eight cents. And they add up. The state legislature added golden pennies to the Texas school finance system in 2006, after property wealthy school districts sued. And from the beginning, critics sounded the alarm. A legislative analysis from when lawmakers were debating them included arguments for and against the idea. Opponents said golden pennies would give a huge windfall of new money to property-wealthy districts that already are funded at the highest levels. But supporters disagreed. It is unlikely that eliminating the recapture of local enrichment funds would generate extreme funding disparities. Driving through West Texas today, the opponents' words seem almost prophetic. All right, I'm on County Road. 300 here in Loving County. I am actually finally passing some oil wells. Mostly I've seen storage areas and like gas plants and oil plants. Um, but there are a lot of leases in Loving County to drill as well. Part of the reason Wink Loving's Golden Pennies go so far is because the district's boundaries include half of Winkler County plus all of Loving County. Loving is the least populous county in the U.S., but it's full of oil fields and processing plants like this one, making it one of the state's top oil and gas producing areas. All of that means Wink Loving ISD has very few students compared to the amount of property wealth inside its boundaries. In fact, Superintendent Scotty Carmen says he could run his entire school district on just golden penny money. This year, they collected $18 million of it. We can set our tax rate, our M&O tax rate at 16 cents and be fine. But the state's not going to like that because they're not going to get their big chunk of recapture. Several other Permian Basin districts have two to four times the average funding per student, thanks to golden pennies. But other districts in the region aren't as lucky. Starting route to Kermit Elementary School. 
Kermit ISD, just 15 minutes north of Wink, actually has less money than the average public school district in Texas. And like many districts in Texas and across the country with less funding, Kermit ISD serves mostly students of color and kids from low-income families. Superintendent Carmen says if he led any other school district, he'd be upset by how much more money golden pennies flood into certain districts. It's not fair, but we didn't make the rules. We're just, we're playing within the system. If you take any superintendent and you put them in my seat here, they're going to do the exact same thing. Carmen says the state's the one that created the inequity and Texas lawmakers are the ones who could solve it. They just need to give more state dollars to public schools. The state needs to put in more of their share. Uh, They're not paying enough right now, and it's all dependent on property taxes. But in the meantime, Carmen says he's putting a lot of money in the bank so that his district won't be reliant on the state if or when the oil and gas industry goes bust and property values fall. Camille Phillips, and this has been Golden Pennies, Why Texas School Funding Still Isn't Fair. There's more to the story. Head over to tpr.org slash goldenpennies to read more and see photos and data visualizations. That's it for this edition of Texas Matters. Thanks for listening. You can email us at texasmatters at tpr.org. And tune in again next week for another edition of Texas Matters from Texas Public Radio. Support for TPR comes from Texas Mutual Insurance Company, a workers' comp provider committed to helping employers get their people home safely. Preventing workplace accidents protects families and keeps businesses productive. More at TexasMutual.com.